0: You're listening to Radio Free Satan. Enjoy the show. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey.
1: Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world. I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It is great to have you. It's November 18th, and I've got a great show for you this week. Before I dive into the show as usual, let me give you a little bit of uh, you know my week rundown. It's actually really, really busy. Um, well, let's say today I decided to work on a pumpkin ale. And I've had this gigantic pumpkin sitting in my house since before Halloween from our garden. It was really, really gigantic and sort of knobby on the outside and everything. And I, I I, was looking at it like, I don't want to carve it. I think I'm going to somehow do something with it. I'll probably make pumpkin pies with it. And then I made my uh, pumpkin spice porter, like I do every year, and it didn't end up as good as it did last year. And so I didn't really get my pumpkin beer fix as a home brewer that I wanted this year and so I thought well why don't I just make a pumpkin beer from my own pumpkins and it's you know you have cooks who love to cook at home and cook out of their garden and it's sort of that next level Uh, you don't want to at least I don't want to buy commercial created beer because it sucks and I don't want to buy craft beer because it sucks And the only beer that's really great is the beer that you make yourself. You have all the flavors in it. You have the passion that you put into it. Everything you do yourself is that much better. Uh, Generally, I've had some mistakes, to be honest. Uh, But with this pumpkin one, I had to slice up the pumpkin and bake the pumpkin, scrape out the innards, sift it, mix it. And then uh, hours and hours later, I finally finished this first batch of my own pumpkin ale, and the gravity reading wasn't very high. I'm afraid it doesn't have enough natural sugar in the pumpkin, and I didn't really take that into account as much as I probably should have. So, you know, we're going to have to see in another week or two what the final gravity reading and basically what that tells you is how much alcohol percentage is actually in the beer itself. I mean, one of the things you drink for is, first and foremost, the flavor and the body of the beer. But you also like to catch a buzz from time to time. And if you can't catch a buzz, really all you have is sort of this weak pumpkin ale. Which, you know, it might taste good. I don't know. I'm always... I'm always hesitant whenever I do something the first time by myself. I mean, I literally just walked into the uh, the local brew store. I was like, look, I need these grains and I need these hops and I need um, uh, this equipment so I can sort of put this batch together. And it was the first time I ever really did something from scratch myself. So I'm going to make a point to let you know how good or how bad it is when it's ready for consumption. But again, that's going to be in like six weeks before I even tap it. So if it is bad, then I will, you know, I have my notes so I can sort of adjust the recipe appropriately next year and uh, have some more Campbell pumpkin ale. (laughs) I don't know, homebrewing is, you know, it's one of those things that you really do feel like this mad alchemist. (laughs) You sort of mix together these really mundane uh, ingredients and it creates something bold, something flavorful, with a little bit of a kick enough to give you a nice, nice buzz. I mean, he, I had my, my nephew come over for dinner the other day, and it was always really great seeing him. And he was like, you know, I love coming over here because I literally have to have, like, two beers and I am good for the day. <laughs> like, he just catches the buzz because he's drinking real beer instead of that commercially made swill that we're just always forced on us uh, as a society. Terrible. And that, that follows suit with anything. So if it is at all possible, make your own beer and uh, even wine, if you have the patience and time and ultimately your own food and, and everything like that. I actually had a, a really interesting comment on a social networking site where I was commenting on my garden and he was like, uh, this comment from this other uh, gentleman, he was like, you know, it's surprising. I. I you know, you seem like a man's man. I didn't expect you to work in a garden. And I'm sort of like... I was I was sort of like pushed back into my seat. Like, what? Like, that is the core of what it means, in my opinion, to be a human being, is to work the earth. That's what we're a part of, This this world. We were created from it. And the least we can do is work with it. And it really let me know how far removed... Just the population as a whole is, from the idea of of creating something yourself, it's just this stunning idea. Like, rather than making your own card, you're going to go drop 12 bucks on a Hallmark card or something of that sort. Rather than coming up with your own clever message or something personal, you just sort of look for the closest message on that card and then handed to someone so literally all the thought that went into it was picking the best out of three and dropping your cash on the table and then just handing the card like why don't you just make your own card why don't you if you're gonna have people over make your own dinner for them it's so much more personal and important and and certainly there's times when you it's just beyond you that you cannot possibly like if it's your uh, lover or, or kid or family members birthday and they want something that's just far too beyond your capacity to create of course you are gonna have to drop your money on it um, if you just don't want to work and you want to go out to a nice restaurant that's awesome but you also have to keep in mind that we are creatures of this planet and it, it it's kind of all handed to us on a platter all it takes is a little effort and I think this is a larger conversation about just just mankind and in our society as a whole Get off your asses, people. Be a part of living. Uh, Because really, sitting back and watching reality TV shows, or uh, I hate to say it, listening to podcasts, isn't really living at all. (laughs) I mean, I give you an hour, plus or minus a week to sort of take your mind off of it, but I'm hoping, hoping that the rest of the week you're out there doing things, not just listening to other podcasts. (laughs) I'm all you need. Alright, so let's talk about uh, Cross. Yes, so this comic, I just uh, fleshed out the mock-up. I'm working on the cover still. I'm not quite there yet with it. Uh, I-, I want it to be good. And I actually flipped a big-ass rock on the artists and um, uh, copy editors, because I completely rewrote all of the dialogue <laughs> in this story, in this first issue of the story. And I, they were all, they had everything colored and everything. I told them, you know what? Scratch it. I want you to re-ink it. And I, panel by panel, gave them specifics. I want you to re-ink it per these specifics. And I want it black and white. I don't want it color at all. And so <laughs> they kind of have to scramble and go back from the ground floor. So it's probably going to take a little longer than I expected, but that's because I, if I'm going to put my name on it and it's going to be my story and it's going to be put out there to you, I want it to be the best product that it can be, um, period, you know, because honestly, it's a great story, it's fun, it's a little bit complex, and it's very sexual and weird, like me, (laughs) so that alone is going to be interesting to read, but then also, I want to make sure that it looks appealing, and, uh, you know, it it holds up to that bar that's going to sort of match the tone of what I'm writing, and, and, and the messages that I'm sending out there through it so look forward to that it is going to be delayed a little bit but other projects are out there in the works like nine cents presents satanists on satanic cinema i have submitted the ninth gate episode which is the next one this month it's going to be out there and if you're clever you can actually already buy it online but i'm not promoting it i'm not putting out the video until it shows up in amazon and until it shows up in itunes so again, this is with Satanist Storm and Satanist J.R. two other Utah devils that live here. Uh, it's always great getting together with them, and this was a lot of fun sitting down with this particular movie, The Ninth Gate. So I'm sure I'll speak to that more in depth in the future, but just know that it is out, and it is propagating on the servers. So if you keep your eyes out there, if you if you had a chance to check out the first episode which is Blue Velvet, with uh, Matt Ingram and Dave Ingram, uh, and you liked it, then you should, you know, also like this. But I'm also, once again, a realist, and I understand that some people like shows because of the guests, and some people like shows because of the movies, so, you know, if if you weren't really into the first episode, well, try this one out and see what you think. It was a lot of fun. I've gotten a lot of feedback on these and I'm really happy with uh, the welcome that it's gotten. And uh, believe me, it's not all great, but it's always good and educational for me. So moving forward, I really appreciate all the feedback. And actually, Nine Cents itself, like you guys have been sending me a lot of emails and I've been getting a uh, a lot of really great content suggestions. For example, this episode, and I guess I might as well just jump into it now, in The Devil's Advocate, I'm going to be talking about satanic weddings, why I don't perform them. This is an article or an essay that Anton Leve wrote in his collection, or it can be found in his collection, Satan Speaks. In Fornual Informant, both of these topics were submitted by you, the, the listener, so thank you very much. I truly appreciate your back and forth. And I just want to you know, let everyone know that I've been getting sort of an influx of listeners, and an influx of communication so I may not reply to every email that you send but I make a point to read every email that you send so I truly do appreciate it if you decide to take that extra time out of your life and communicate with me it it means a lot and it's appreciated and I don't want you to think that I'm blowing you off because I mean quite frankly I have a life other than this as you do and I do my best to uh, read everything and respond to what I think is you know worthy of response um so the two topics and i say topics because one of them is an article and one of them is sort of a topic that i want to touch on so the first one is final exit and this is a group about um uh, ending life with dignity Uh, it's really just a website and there was a show on it i'm going to speak to that a little bit and then freedom from religious Foundation, sues IRS for not enforcing electioneering restrictions on churches. This is an article sent in, and uh, I'm going to touch on that. A lot of really great stuff. And finally, the long-awaited Jimmy Psycho Experiment Mad Monster Cocktail Party Interview. This is a really great album. Jimmy Psycho's a real gentleman. I had a lot of fun talking to him, and just because of scheduling conflicts, I had to push him off a week. But he's here this week, and I hope you enjoy the interview. Um, But before I go into the actual meat of the show, I know I'm dragging on here, sorry. A couple notes. Thanksgiving is coming up, so if you're in the U.S., don't forget to uh, indulge on this day of indulgence. Remember, we earned it by murdering people, so don't let it go to waste. (laughs) America, heritage of assassination. (laughs) Um, Happy Turkey Day to those who uh, enjoy it. And for those of you who don't just imbibe for the sake of imbibing whether it's on extra turkey or stuffing or cranberry juice or pumpkin pie or eggnog with a little bit of whiskey in it or rum or vodka whatever oh yeah, I'm hungry yeah hmm turkey day yeah I guess some people watch sports on turkey day I don't I don't know I get drunk and play with my kids and <laughs> really get caught up in the aroma of the foods and kind of fall into a stupor by the end of the day (laughs) it's a lot of fun for me alright and uh, this coming week also uh, very important my first son his birthday is coming up uh, very very soon so I just wanted to toss out
0: a little bit of a happy birthday to him it's coming up
1: and um Aaron our very own down to the crossroads Aaron her birthday's this week, so let me give a little shout out, happy birthday my dear, and, uh, you know, hope you spend a couple more of them with 9 cents, we have a lot of fun here, and uh the audience obviously enjoys it because the episodes you're on are always really well received, <laughs> so for selfish reasons or not, I hope you stick around, happy birthday, alright let's go ahead and dive into satanic weddings, why I don't perform them now.
0: You say why? I say why bother? How'd you done, great? Let's cut the bullshit and get real. Why this purity you feel about evil? For Christ's sake, why? It don't lie to me. I guess father. You gotta feel that old neck in your soul it becomes clear like it did for me the first time that's when I realized my one true calling in life and what's that shit man (laughs) I'm a born devil's advocate welcome to the devil's advocate I'm a satanist I'm a member of the church of satan but I do not speak for the church of satan That is all.
1: Satanic Weddings. Why I Don't Perform Them. I don't perform satanic weddings for the same reason I would hesitate to be a party to my own. In the past, the wedding ceremony was a viable extension of other human activities. Within the context of then-existing standards, it did more than serve a purpose. It was an essential part of normal life. The first and most important reason for marriage was sex. It was the only way millions of people could indulge themselves without guilt. Christianity has placed sin on a pedestal from which religious sanctions alone could amend it. Marriage was just such an amendment. That's why people got married. They either had hot nuts or hot pants. Love? Sure. The most intense feelings of love were not incompatible with marriage. After all, to a feminine mystique, love and sex are inexorably intertwined. My point is that love and marriage, translated, meant love and sex. Like the analogy of the square and the rectangle, one could experience love with or without marriage. But no marriage, no sex. This is uh, an excerpt of Satanic Weddings, Why I Don't Perform Them, by Anton Zanderleve in his collection Satan Speaks. Great, great essay here. Because it speaks to a broader context of why marriage really continued throughout the ages and what he leans on is the very much as as i just you know read in the article there it's because it's it's sort of legalized sex and you know when when we exited the farms and the industrial revolution swept in and we all you know, became trapped with these Victorian morals, we were, as a culture, told that if you got married, your woman would have to please you. It was legal rape in some cases, some very bad cases, actually. And that actually carries through in a lot of religious institutions to this day, shockingly enough. And I always think it's hilarious that the people who seem to never even have any requirement for marriage are the ones fighting hardest for it, homosexuals. Now, I get the equality thing, but when you think about what marriage really is and and why it was, you know, or how it was used by humankind, it doesn't really seem like something you want to do. And yet, here I am, a married man. (laughs) So... Being married allows you, in the context Anton Levay is speaking to, to have sex. And so why would you want to officiate something like that when the premise itself is absurd? And how can you ever expect to find true love or compatibility or sexual gratification with someone whom you really don't know that well, and certainly whom you have never had sex with prior to marriage, right? uh-huh, huh uh, right? (laughs) Certainly as times have changed, and as sex has become more open, and communication has opened up, these ideas, in my opinion, become less relevant. But in this context, they are brilliant. (laughs) He speaks to the idea that, well, if you want to uh, have the best sex, You have to be able to summon your own satanic demon. And certainly what he's not speaking to is actually drawing a pentagram in a circle and conjuring up a demon. He's talking about imagining your perfect lover, uh, whatever it is. And if you cannot do that through masturbation and through self-involvement, if you cannot do that for yourself, and this is actually something that I've spoken to in in other contexts, just with being a good lover. If you can't do that for yourself, how can you ever expect someone else to do it for you, or for you to be lucky enough to find that one other person that's gonna do that weird shit that you like to do? (laughs) So, you know, he's sort of tongue in cheek there. He's like, well, you know, in that context, I'm all for satanic weddings. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, masturbation, good stuff. So, I mean, this. the, the sole thing he's speaking to here is, is, is marriage and as it relates to love, as it relates to sex. And, you know, he does bring up some other things like, um, making a note that the more structured the ritual of the marriage, uh, the big the chapel, the, you know, all, all the expensive flowers and, and the huge guest lists and, and all the food and, and all the music and everything, the more formal and the more, celebrated it is you're sort of setting a standard at the very beginning of your relationship now ideally if you're going to be going into this you're going to be going into it for the long haul unless you're you know a money-grubbing whore and that could be guy or girl uh, just after the other person's money uh, but if you are going into it with the best of intentions, why would you, and he sort of speaks to this here, why would you start with the grandest of the grand? Because what do you have to look forward to after that? You're going to be going back to their one apartment flat, sharing a toilet with someone that you'd never seen shit before, but guess what? You're going to see it now. And <laughs> more to your pain, you're going to smell it. <laughs> So next time you're going down to give that BJ that you really didn't want to have to give, but you kind of feel obligated because you are married now, and you're right next to that ass, now you have a smell to put to it. (laughs) And it's just, you don't want to be in that position if you don't have to. Uh, uh, I don't know. And, you know, to put some sort of personal context into this whole thing, uh, marriage is a struggle. It's something that, it's not easy, and it's something you work on. And it's something you have to be willing to work on. Because we're all human beings, we're all very selfish, we're all self-involved, and we all want what we want. And to compromise can be challenging at times. And that's literally what marriage is. It's a give and take. <laughs> this article is really great for the context, I think, as as our culture has has separated from those ideas of marriage equals the ability to have sex and we are now in a world where 13-year-olds are getting pregnant and becoming mothers and 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 everyone seems to be okay with that but we don't want to teach uh safe sex in schools because we might have prevented said pregnancy and motherhood and we have uh shambles of a family unit out there with one parent often raising children and so the divorce rate higher than ever um, with all of this i'm not sure uh i'm not sure the broader discussion is a, uh, applicable anymore but it does very much uh reinforce the the core idea behind it and that is that marriage itself is an absurd notion um and then if i can sort of piggyback onto that if you're going to go into it go into it with the understanding that it will be difficult that you are an adult and you're married to another individual adult and you have to compromise and you have to work with them and sometimes that means that you're going to have to get off your ass period you're going to have to contribute and you're going to have to work at it and in the long run it may not be worth it but that's a decision that you have to accept and understand if you're going to go into it otherwise you're just a kid, mentally, and you're wasting people's time. So, anyway, great article, Satan Speaks, go pick it up if you haven't already picked it up. And, and really, I think you should. I mean, it's got to be available, right? Uh, Feral House put it out. So, let's go ahead and move into the Infernal Informant. Listen up, listen up, Good news, and no devil. Bad news, else no heaven. There's nothing to see. Have I was given this article by a listener, thank you very much for that, and this is actually just a website, finalexit.org. It was because of the topic, uh, what Final Exit is, that she wanted me to speak to, or he wanted me to speak to. Uh, so, when I got to this website, I was a little bit confused, because the whole thing is just pushing the book, Final Exit. It's actually an ebook. And it's by Derek Humphrey, founder of the Hemlock Society. So let me sort of give you the description that they give. And I don't really want to talk about this book particularly, but I sort of want to speak to the idea that it um, that it puts out there. The most famous textbook in euthanasia and assisted suicide includes unique step-by-step language for a Competent adult who is terminally or hopelessly ill and wishing to bring their life to a peaceful, non violent end. This can be achieved without Dr. Kevorkian or any doctor. Drug dosages and helium gas techniques are described and illustrated. See what this ebook is all about. There's a PDF link containing several final exit page excerpts, the table of contents, and author biography. Much the same methods are used by dignitas in Switzerland and the right-to-die groups in the Netherlands, Belgium, Luxembourg, Colombia, and countries where euthanasia laws have been passed. Except for Switzerland, those laws can only be used by residents under strict guidelines. The American states of Oregon and Washington have voted for physician-assisted suicide, but only for its residents who are competent adults and terminally ill final exit also outlines the legal complications connected with dying death hastened death i'm sorry (laughs) dying death hastened death euthanasia laws suicide living wills and advanced directives the family aspect is discussed whom to tell and is it advisable of a suicide note with sample is addressed (laughs) wow Uh, the problems with life insurance are clarified the difficult issues of double suicide, and hastened death for persons with disabilities are frankly discussed. Appendances referenced include Glossary of Terms Connected with Dying, Alternative Euphemistic Terms for Assisted Dying and Death, International and U.S. Right to Die Law, including the organ Death with Dignity Act, etc. The digital edition of the final exit matches the current updated third edition paperback Both the paperback and digital edition is much updated from the earlier editions of the paperback, which date from 1991, when it was a number one bestseller on the New York Times nonfiction list. For instance, the first and second editions did not contain the helium gas technique, (laughs) now used by hundreds of people for their own euthanasia. The new edition also includes new drug dosages, plus updated guidance on plastic bag and other techniques. Wow. The digital edition of Final Exit contains a clearly laid out and easy to use living will and durable power of attorney for health care, which the reader is strongly encouraged to print and complete. The tragic lessons of Terry Shivo's 14 long years trapped in a persistent vegetative state and the ugly fight over her fate must not be lost on us. In April of 2007, the national newspaper USA Today selected Final Exit as one of the 25 most memorable books published in the last quarter century. The paper's editor and critics said the topics of assisted suicide exploded in controversy in the 90s thanks to the Michigan pathologist Jack Kevorkian and his suicide machines. And this how-to manual Final Exit from an English journalist who helped his cancer-stricken first wife kill herself. If you're asking the question, what is assisted suicide, or what is euthanasia and assisted death, then this exit book provides the clearest answers. There is as yet no simple, peaceful pill for self-euthanasia, and law reform is lagging behind public opinion, so until then, final exit is the solution. So this is uh, written by uh, Derek Humphrey. He's had 30 years of experience in the Death with Dignity movement. In 75, helped his first wife, Jean, to die with suffering and lingering death from breast cancer. His book on that event, Jean's Way, is a cult classic. Five years after her death, he founded the Hemlock Society, which he ran from 80 to 92. Today, he runs the Euthanasia Research and Guidance Organization, a nonprofit organization based in Oregon. He's the policy advisor to the American group, the Final Exit Network, and to the World Federation of Right-to-Die Societies, of which he was the president in 88 to 90, a citizen of both the UK and USA, Humphrey lives near Eugene, Oregon. In my opinion, all of this um, equates to individual liberty. So, I've spoken, a couple weeks ago I think it was, Briefly, about Satanism and and our view on suicide, and this sort of piggybacks that uh, communication because um, uh, what I was speaking to was uh, Anton Lavey saying the only time that it would be an acceptable escape was if it was if your life was in such pain and such uh, anguish that there literally was no way out, then perhaps your best judgment here, it would be an acceptable way of ending it. You know, as as Satanists, we cherish life, because it is so short. And we don't want to waste our time, and we want to have the best time that we can while we're here. So the idea of killing yourself is really sort of, you know, out there. It doesn't make any sense. Until it's put into the context of... um painful existence. Now, I really don't care if someone wants to off themselves. If I'm not connected to that person, it means nothing to me. So we could have mass suicides all around the planet. I don't care. I'm still gonna wake up and have my coffee and get dressed one leg at a time like everyone else, just like any other day. It really doesn't care. It doesn't matter to me. And you know what, this is probably gonna, you know, piss a couple people off here, but i was i was stationed in germany when uh 9-11 happened and i was on um uh shoot No, i can't remember what it's called uh cco duty or something like that where basically i was watching the battalion building all night with another soldier and we were just sort of you know walking around and making sure everything was safe um, and just sort of being on call just in case something happened and uh that's when we got the news, uh, right before I went on to duty. So I remember going down to the uh, operations office, and the commanders and um, lieutenants were just freaking out, looking at the film footage on the TV, and they, like, turned around to me, and, and this one lieutenant female uh, looked at me. She's like, we're, we're, we're at war. We're under attack. They attacked us. And everyone was so acting sh- like something happened to them personally, and and all I could think of was... I don't know anyone there, so why the fuck do I care? Like, like it's my job at that moment. It was my job to respond in a way that was protective of the United States. Because I was a soldier, obviously. But it didn't affect me personally. I mean, as sort of like a nation pride way it affected me. But there was people literally just, like, fetal position Soldiers! in fetal position, rocking back and forth, just sort of numb and shocked. Uh, one of my soldiers was like that, uh, he he just, I can't believe how many people just died just now, and I couldn't really understand it. I felt like I was missing something that everyone else was experiencing, this sort of connection with them about the loss of all these human beings I had no connection with. Um, And so this is sort of, you know, in line with that. I don't, I don't care if your grandma wants to kill herself because she's in so much pain because she's had inoperable cancer for the past three years and at any second she could die anyway, so why not just end it in her own terms? That's fine with me. I I don't really care. And I gotta be quite honest, if I was in her case, I probably would want to do the same thing. If I knew that there there was no way of me getting out of this and I was going to die and that up until that point of death, I was in horrendous pain. Why would I want to hang out? I mean, life is precious, but not that precious. It's, it's that idea that if you were caught up in... Um, uh, uh, oh, shoot. Like the, the um, Inquisition torture sessions. Why would you... <laughs> why? I don't understand why you would put yourself through that. It's just man, You're going to die. You're going to be burned or you're going to be drowned or you're going to be ripped apart. Why wouldn't you just end it yourself? You know, you're going to not live through it. Why go through that pain? I mean life is precious. precious don't get me wrong.
0: <laughs> but it's not that precious.
1: if It's all pure hell. And so, you know, you hear all these stories about uh, Shiva, for example, who was in a permanent vegetative state and everyone's all pouring sympathy out. We have to pull the plug and the parents didn't want to pull the plug. Who cares? She was in a vegetative state. It's not like she could feel anything. So why don't you just stick the fuck out of it? It's none of your business. And, and where's this, this concept of, of right to life coming from anyway? Do you think they have that in Afghanistan right now when they're getting their asses shot because they just happened to be in the wrong hut at the wrong time? Or, or maybe in the Gaza Strip when they were just living their life? trying to uh, exist, and suddenly they were bombed by Hamas. Huh, who cares? <laughs> right to life. That doesn't really exist there. This, it, I, I, I swear, the ideas that we come up with as a society, uh, right to life being a problem means we have no other problems. <laughs> like, if if we're so centered and, and so comfortable in our existence that we have to say, we should have a choice on whether we die today or not, when in whether someone else has the right to die or not. That's the absurdity of it. Like Okay, so he, ultimate hypocrisy. I'm gonna lay it down really quick. Uh and this is this is the the eternal uh irony of all all Judeo-Islamic Christian faiths here. Um their God gives them the right to choose individually, and so they take that choice and make everyone follow their way. <laughs> like you have the freedom of choice as long as you do it my way, mister. <laughs> and these are the people that are like, no, Jesus. Okay, on one hand, they're like, at least they're consistent, right? Let's make sure every little sperm lives and creates a life. And let's make sure no one can kill themselves in any possible way up until the time Jesus accepts them. <laughs> it's insane, right? Like, you would think that they would want that sort of turnaround, economically. <laughs> they need the turnaround. They're going to be bringing in all this extra life that no one wants to have. They've got to stop life from existing in older areas, right? Unless I mean, you talk talking plain economics. If you're in the U.S. and you're on Social Security, we're going to be paying for you that much longer. Just let them end it. And then you can act like you care about all these fetuses that other people want to abort until, of course, they become human beings and start crying in the real world and then you forget about them and, you know, let the other people worry about it. It's crazy. Why are we so concerned with other people's lives? Like, this really comes, in my opinion, it follows through that whole drug argument. If you want to um smoke crack and ruin your life I don't care legalize it let them and let's get them off the planet the sooner the better why are we getting in the way of people destructing when they want to destruct like it it doesn't make any sense to me legalize all drugs heroin let people overdose every single day because you know what that means one less retard that I have to deal with on this planet and yeah it might be your kid and yes it might be a mistake But they decided to make that mistake. That was a conscious choice. And if you didn't raise them to understand uh, consequence, that's kind of on you. And yeah, it might be your really close friend or a family member. But you are not them. And that is their choice. And you have to accept that sometimes people just don't want to live. And uh, that doesn't make your life any less worth living or more worth living. Unless, of course, you're me. In which case, I kind of think it does. <laughs> like, I'm, I am I kind of feel better, like, thinking, ah, oh, well, that's one more breath I get to take that someone else isn't going to take. Because <laughs> we're just ruining our planet. I feel like eventually we're all going to be living in these sort of bubbles <laughs> so we can have breathable air. Certainly not in my lifetime, but, you know, it's sort of one of those sci-fi things I see in the future. Uh, overpopulation. It's going to happen. So why are we stopping it? Let people kill themselves. Uh, I have no problems with it. And this is my kids, see? And this is where my own hypocrisy comes into play. Because until they're no longer kids, it's my responsibility. And so I do take time to teach consequence and reward. And I certainly let them know that as challenging as they think life is at this moment, um, there's going to be moments that are going to be much harder, but also much more wonderful. Um, and y- y- you have to let them know. And if at the end of the day, they still hear what you're saying and they decide to take that step there's nothing you can do about it and certainly legislation preventing people from suicide is as laughable as preventing people from smoking weed if they want to smoke weed or from doing any illegal activity that they want to do they're gonna do it anyway let them self-destruct who cares those of us who have (laughs) self-worth We're gonna be reaping the benefits of not having these uh, sort of vermin around. Let's deal with it, huh? So anyway, I'm sorry. This is a long uh, sort of rant on not just euthanasia and, and right to die uh, with dignity, but I mean, I don't, I don't really know what to say to this except that I agree that people should have the right to kill themselves off if they want to. Because that's their choice and not mine, so why the fuck do I care? You know that. I mean, that's kind of how I see it, anyway. All right, let's go ahead and go to the second article here. This is uh, the Daily Page. Freedom from Religion Foundation sues IRS for not enforcing electioneering restrictions on churches. This is by Judith Davidoff, posted Wednesday, the 14th of November. On the heels of a presidential election in which hundreds of preachers publicly promised to flout internal revenue service rules by endorsing candidates from the pulpit the madison-based freedom from religion foundation filed suit against the irs for failing to enforce electioneering restrictions against churches and religious organizations filed in u.s district court for the western district of wisconsin the lawsuit charges that douglas shulman the commissioner for the internal revenue service has violated continues to violate and will continue to violate in the future the establishment clause of the first amendment to the constitution of the united states by failing to enforce the electioneering restrictions of 501c3 of the tax code against churches and religious organizations this section of the tax code prohibits nonprofit organizations and organizations that are exempt from federal income taxes from being involved in political campaigns the lawsuit cites open and notorious violations of these electioneering restrictions by churches since 2008, including blatantly partisan full-page ads from the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association that ran in papers throughout the country leading up to the November 6th election. And that's kind of the whole religious right movement. Is political. <laughs> Overt political. In the ad, Graham urges people to vote. For those who protect the sanctity of life and support the biblical definition of marriage between man and a woman. Annie Laurie Gaylor, co-president of the Freedom From Religious Foundation, says everybody knows what he was talking about. Obama endorsing same-sex marriage. Gaylor says the IRS needs to consider the ad in context, including the fact that Graham met with Republican presidential candidate Mitt Romney and reportedly told him, I'll do all I can to help you. And you can quote me on that. He just did. That's what the IRS has to look at, says Gaylor. It's the whole picture. The lawsuit also charges that the IRS's failure to enforce these electioneering laws violates the equal protection rights of other nonprofits barred from engaging in political activity. The non enforcement of the electioneering restrictions against churches and other religious organizations constitutes preferential treatment to churches and religious organizations that are not provided to other tax-exempt organizations, including the FFRF, which are required to comply with the electioneering restrictions. In a news release, the Freedom From Religion Foundation refers to Bloomberg BNA story in which Russell Renwicks, an employee from the IRS's Tax Exempt and Government Entities Division, was quoted as saying the agency had suspended doing tax audits of churches. The release notes an IRS spokesman later claimed that Renwicks misspoke, but adds that there appears to be no evidence of IRS inquiries or action in the past three years. When asked for comment, an IRS spokesman emailed a statement saying that the IRS does not comment on pending litigation. And there's a link to the complete uh, lawsuit, which I will not go into. Uh, but also, just to say here, Pentagonal Revisionism! This is like the third article in a month and a half that's come up about this. Um, I really appreciate you guys bringing this to me. And I, 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 yes, I agree. They should absolutely, if, okay, here's the downside to this. You always have to sort of take a step back and, and look at it from the other perspective here. With the right judges in place, this could actually rule in favor of churches, which means that they would have to give political um, electioneering rights to other nonprofit organizations, not just churches. And yes, it's in our Constitution, blah, blah, blah. Since when, in the last 50 years, did uh, the Constitution ever really save you from anything? It certainly is there as a guideline. Uh, a guideline. Uh, people get around it. Uh, churches have been getting around it for as long as we've been a country. Uh, and the literally, the term religious right uh, is proof of that. The political term. The fact that Republicans have to pander to evangelicals in order to get into office. Proof positive that religion has an ass ton of involvement. And if you don't know, that's actually a lot. <laughs> in politics. And yeah, they're not paying taxes. But if we, if we go down this road, we have to really be sure that they're gonna file uh against the IRS and make them start uh taxing churches when they do put out ads like this. We have to make sure they're going to do that. Because if they do not, if the stars are not aligned, and if we do not have the right people in the decision-making seats, then we're going to open up the doors for them to overtly... I mean, you have to realize, the Supreme Court said that corporations are people, man the most absurd notion corporations are allowed to put infinite amount of money into elections what's a church? it's just another corporation except they don't have to pay taxes so now we're actually opening the door by legislation like this for them to legally become just like any other corporation except they don't have to pay taxes and they can throw as much money as they want it's it's sort of this, you know, the door swings both ways situation. Yeah, it could mean that in, you know, this crazy world that we hope at some point in our lives we're going to live in where churches are not going to be able to either have tax-exempt status or be involved in politics. But more likely than not, because this is still a very religious country, for whatever crazy reason, we could actually be opening up the door to insanity of saying, eh, but they've been doing it for so long, there's sort of a mandate set. Uh, there's precedent. And we're just going to continue to let them do it. In which case, we have to allow every other non-profit organization to do the same. And that's a nightmare. That, that That's a day I do not want to see. So I'm really hoping that this doesn't... <laughs> Okay, best case scenario, it's thrown out this particular one, and then used as as cause to attack churches uh, for being taxed, because what they're doing is is throwing legislation in the wrong place. They're throwing it at I'm sorry, not um, litigation in the wrong place. They're throwing it at the IRS for not doing their job when they should be throwing it um, at their legislators' feet to make churches step up to the plate and one the way they're doing it could lead to that end but why pussyfoot around it when there's some serious negatives that could happen by doing it when you could just go straight to the source and say look if you are going to be a church in this country and you are going to put out political propaganda and you're going to intervene with elections then you lose your tax-exempt status and from the moment of your creation to your current day, you owe us X amount in taxes. If you pay it, then continue with your electioneering. That's fine. If you do not, you are no longer a church, and you are no longer allowed to exist. It's pretty damn simple. That's what I want to see. I don't want to see the IRS, because the IRS is just doing what the people and government want them to do. They're sort of that, in my opinion, bullied organization that the greater government is telling them to collect as much as you can from everyone but they're giving <laughs> they're given sort of this rubik's cube of 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 rules and regulations to go by and then uh, the people that would actually be able to bring in money have so many loopholes that they don't bring in very much and so you're forced to sort of attack those of the middle class who don't have as many loopholes and, and make mistakes on their taxes or don't keep keep receipts and or blatantly lie I mean, let's be fair here I mean, people really cheat um, and, and okay greater conversation about the IRS here if someone and, and this is actually in context just with taxes and societies general as Americans how the hell do we get back more than we put in right? Like the whole idea of taxes is that you are contributing to the society you live in to keep it going by paying for defense, by paying for roads, by paying for bridges, uh, etc. Parks. Uh, that's the point. But then we say, okay, well, sometimes we take too much. So let's do a tax return where you can have X amount of deductions and that will give you X amount back from what you put in. But people end up getting back more than they put in. So instead of a tax return, the government is handing checks to people, saying, here is money that you did not earn, that you did not give us, but I'm just going to give it to you for being a shitty fucking human being. (laughs) What the fuck? And it's going on. Every single year it's going on. It's so insane. Okay, so, yeah, I do not think anyone, and I'm sorry if this affects you and your feelings are hurt here, but you should not be getting back more than you put in. Okay, if you're making so much, so little money that it's hard for you to live, well, then you should be getting back everything that you put in. But not more! What is that? We're paying you to live here? That's literally what it means. Fuck that. Get on your own two feet. If you're not making enough, get another job. Or a different job. Or get your spouse to work. You know? <laughs> I mean, fuck. It's. I'm sorry. It's, it's an insane idea. The whole IRS thing just really drives me crazy. I'm in that that sort of uh, upper middle class zone where I get
0: screwed
1: every year. I make more than I ever have, but not enough to get any return. And so I'm always on that sort of verge of I'm going to end up owing or I'm going to get a little bit back of what I put in. I get screwed every year because I work my ass off. Why the hell are people who aren't working their asses off, and this is not everyone, but getting back more than they put in. That doesn't make sense. We're paying them to do nothing. That drives me crazy. And then we get them all benefits, uh help, uh social help and and food programs and it's just like, fuck man, when when are we going to just cut the leeches loose? There are illegal immigrants dying to work and be a part of the country and we're pushing them away and we're letting the leeches in and then paying them to leech off of us this is insanity i say open up the borders let everyone that's going to contribute get their asses in here and contribute and those of you who are leeching off the society and not contributing at all get the fuck out it's that simple and it's not like I have anything against you. Whatever ethnicity or, or ancestry you come from or or sexual orientation, I don't care. You either contribute to the society or you don't. And if you do, then stay here and work like everyone else. And if you don't, get out. There are countries out there that will accept you happily. Not here. <laughs> At least not with me. Wow. And I was talking about the IRS and churches a second ago. How the hell did that happen? Alright, let's go ahead and stop this rambling, uh, and give your ears a bit of a break here. Uh, I, I have a really great interview with Jimmy Psycho, I'm going to give you right now in the Creature Feature. Enjoy it, people!
0: Oh, God! No. Just me. Did you know that after the heart stops beating, the brain can function for well over 7 minutes? We got six more minutes to play. Why are you screaming when I haven't even cut you yet? Welcome to Creature Feature.
1: Welcome to another Creature Feature. Today I'm being joined by Jimmy Psycho. I heard his Mad Monster Cocktail Party album after it was released and I had to get him on the show. Jimmy, how are you?
2: I'm doing great, doing great. Uh, here in uh, warm, sunny uh, Los Angeles, California, right now.
1: Just got to rub it in. I just got dumped with snow last night, and Ooh. everything <laughs> is covered with like six inches or more. So, yeah, a little jealous. <laughs> All right, so I'm. I really, really dug the Mad Monster Cocktail Party album. Uh, I downloaded it, and I, I'm not really much of a um, a, a tiki. Uh, sort of lounge guy. And so I put it in while we were eating dinner and I just found myself grooving to these tracks. And even my, my kids were like, Oh, that's, that's the monsters," And you know, they like recognize these tunes. So we were all just sort of really, really th- just thrilled with, with how it didn't really detract from conversation, but it kind of pulled us away at moments. And so, uh, a lot of fun, man.
2: Oh, awesome. Glad you enjoy it. Yeah. You know, it was, it was a lot of fun to, to put this thing together too. Cause, uh, you know, I listen to like a lot of uh, like horror movie soundtracks whenever I'm just like having some downtime and stuff like that. And yeah, you know, so there's definitely a, a familiarity with, with some of these tunes. Like, you know, somebody I'm sure you know everybody's heard them at some point or the other in various incarnations.
0: Yeah,
1: even if they don't know where it's from, they'll definitely be yeah. recognizable. Well, um, before we dive into the the album, because I did want to play a track from it, let's let's talk a little bit about you. Uh, can you t- tell tell uh, the audience a little bit about yourself?
2: Oh well, um, I, was, I was actually I was born and raised in Ohio, and then uh, I, I started my band, uh, Psycho Charger. I actually started down in Miami Beach, and uh, from there I went moved up to New York City, where kind of really the, the band kind of made a lot of headway in like uh, the local music scene up there. And then uh, you know over time, just kind of made my way uh, from New York City to upstate New York, where a uh, great group of people up there. I, and I, you actually had them on your show the the Cocktail Vultures. Yeah. Um, good good group of people up there and uh so yeah i'm uh hung out with them up there for a while and then uh finally made my way out to la and uh psychochargers going on out here now and then in the interim between uh the time i was uh putting together uh uh the, the jimmy psycho experiment stuff or before psychocharger the west coast division of psycho Charger as, as it's called uh got started i, I kind of had this idea in my head for like a couple years to do this like you know horror lounge you know release kind of thing and so I kind of use that that downtime to finally sit down and put these tunes together
1: oh yeah there's a lot in there so um, what prompted the move from the east Coast to the west coast
2: you know I, I you know it's just a uh, it's just a multitude of things it's really kind of to hard to nail it down to uh, to just one one thing it's just yeah. you know kind of like you know you know life life experiences and, and stuff like that
1: right on. Well, when were you first introduced to Satanism, if you don't mind me asking?
2: Oh, probably as early as, like, junior high school. I found a, uh, a copy of uh, of the, the Satanic Bible. I forget where I found it at. Probably like, at some used bookstore because I was always combing through there looking yeah. for, uh, you know, old books or old comic books. And uh, came across that, and it just kind of came the same. I just found it to be a very uh, resounding uh, read, you know, just kind of like really, you know, I I could really identify. As most people I, I've met, you know, so they they read it and it's like, wow, this, I can really relate to this. So even at early age, I was like, wow, this is a uh, something I can definitely uh, identify with.
1: Yeah, and I, I sort of love that shared experience that a lot of us have of, you know, without looking for something, we're just rummaging through these sort of old bookstores or uh, newer bookstores through uh, you know familiar sections, and we just sort of run across it. I, I, it's it's almost like you know, you're wandering through the forest and you just sort of trip on a stone and ends up being like this big gem that you end up carrying. The yeah, exactly. Your life. That's, yeah, That's yeah, really, very well mm-hmm. so, I mean, you, you said you formed, um, psycho chargers, uh, before, like in Miami beach. Yeah. I was,
2: I was living and working down, uh, Miami beach and, uh, kind of had this whole idea of, of this whole like industrial, like rockabilly kind of thing. And uh, you know, at that time, it was kind of like you know to get somebody to, to do something like, like even remotely rockabilly because it wasn't as popular as it is now. Yeah. And uh, so I kind of like just put this whole thing together. I like did like some demo tapes in my house and and uh, started sending them out. Then I booked a bunch of shows and I didn't even really have a band to play. So kind of kind of lit a fire into my ass to get a, a actual band together to play these things out live. Wow!
1: Can you place the uh, places for us? What year was this? Oh, we're talking. Oh
2: late 90s i started like writing the songs for psycho charger
1: nice so what were some of your early influences that made you really want to do this it was
2: uh well you know live. it was like you know i grew up listening to like a lot of like elvis and then uh you know of course i discovered kiss and punk rock and Mm -hmm. and then you know that was like kind of like the music foundation of it and then a lot of stuff you know growing up in, in ohio i was very lucky to have like a bunch of uh uh, television horror hosts that played, you know, creature features and shock theater and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, as I was growing up, because I grew up uh, right outside Dayton, Ohio, so we I could get channels in from Dayton, Cincinnati, Columbus, Ohio, and you know, so this all predates like you know the day where you just you know get on a computer, and you hit Netflix and watch whatever you want. So <laughs> yeah. So so you know when when these guys would like show like you know the old Universal horror movies or the Hammer films. Or Godzilla movies, it was like a big deal. You know, all the all the kids in their neighborhood would watch it, and it was like a very communal experience for a lot of us. So I would say the the uh, you know the, the subject matter is, is definitely horror based.
1: Mm-hmm. Nice. So, what made you want to sort of splinter from the the Psycho Charger project to the Jimmy Psycho experiment?
2: <clears throat> well, like I was saying, um, a lot of it had to do with moving out out this way. I, I was kind of like, uh, had a little downtime you know between you know psycho charge was very much based in new york and then when i moved out to uh los angeles i was kind of without a band so i kind of took that time that to finally do this you know horror lounge music cd that i had in my mind for like a couple years at that point and so i kind of used the downtime between uh forming the the west coast uh psycho charger lineup Uh, to uh, apply myself to to put together the the Mad Monster Cocktail Party CD. Oh,
1: yeah. All right, well, I, I really do want to play one of these tracks for the audience, so let's go ahead and play the Monsters theme, and on the other side, we'll talk about where people can go to pick this album up. that was the monsters a uh, very fun i i just love how it's uh, subtle and you actually sort of played with the themes a little bit too right i mean did you feel like um you could sort of just take it wherever you wanted it to
2: oh uh, yeah that that's a really good question and and you know a lot of these songs that I kind of realized i really did you know try to do a little maneuvering around with, with them because you know really a lot of these songs like the monster song is really you know when you if you were to download it like the original version it's only like a minute thirty seconds long you know yeah. so a lot of these a lot of these songs are relatively short songs so I, I really wanted to try to expand them out a little bit so yeah I, I kind of took a few liberties here and there to kind of make them a little bit longer.
1: Did you did you find any of them more challenging than others?
2: Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, <laughs> yeah, tub, like tubular bells and. Uh, the phantasm theme those i come from a a rock and roll kind of background and you know it's all four four like tubular brows is like is like in like six eighths time it's like in this weird time signature and uh, yeah there's there's a little bit of cussing going on trying to to put that one together for
1: sure now that's actually the theme from the exorcist right yes exactly So i mean these are just iconic sounds uh and and done in a really fun way so where can people go to pick up uh, mad monster cocktail party
2: well, you they can get a good listen of it. Uh, I got like a couple tracks streaming online at uh, jimmypsycho.com, and it's uh, you can purchase it right there on on the website, and the, the link's for like iTunes. I think it's on Amazon now. and it'll, it'll pretty much be everywhere you can download, but I'd love it if they would buy the physical CD because the artwork is uh, is, is, is something special. My my good friends uh, Peter and uh, Dennis, they, they put that together for me.
0: Ooh, very
1: cool. All right. Is there anywhere they can go to, to see the artwork? Is it the same website? Yeah, same website. Okay. Yeah, I would I would absolutely suggest people to go out there and listen to it before diving in, but I can guarantee you once you have listened to it uh it's sort of a must if you ever entertain or if you ever just want to uh sit back with some music in the background and enjoy the company of whomever you're with. Uh, it's a lot of fun, but that is not the only thing that we can talk about. I mean, you also have uh some other projects coming up, right?
2: Right, right. I got the uh, working on uh, the new Psycho Charger CD, and I got that. That's, that's probably maybe 60, 70% done. And then, you know, uh, being out here in LA, I've encountered some uh, filmmakers. I'm writing some tunes for, uh, you know, some independent horror films out here. So, you know, always up to something wacky for sure.
1: Is it ever intimidating if when someone comes up to you for, say, a movie uh, for scoring it or for doing some, you know, songs for it? Do you ever feel obligated to deliver something in their vision or do they just sort of give you creative, you know, control over it? Yeah,
2: you know, on, honestly, you know, when I first started doing it, it was like, uh, it, it, yeah, it was a little intimidating because, you, know, you 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 realize it what a huge uh, even for like like these quote small independent films it, it ends up being a very big production with how many people they get involved with it and how many people are actually involved in putting these these movies together so when i got tapped to do uh the song for the movie chillerama you know i was like going, oh my gosh what i get myself into you know and, and it, yeah there's it's where I was like going. I don't. I, I don't know what I'm going to put together here. And so, you know, I put like a little demo, and then I'd send it off to them before I, you know, before I would invest too much into it. You know, I kind of say, yeah. well, this is kind of like what I'm working on. What do you think? And they're like, oh, it's great. Run with it. Run with it. And so, yeah. And uh, that's usually. But yeah, it, it's it's a pretty daunting undertaking when when you first uh, start talking with these guys about doing something.
1: Very cool. Well, I mean, would it be too bold to see if we could uh, get a teaser of that, uh, you know, a little taste uh, track of that new album you're putting out?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Be all good. It's all good.
1: All right. So I'm going to play a track from the new yet-to-be-released album that you're still working on called Go Die. And uh, on the other end of that, I want to maybe ask you a little bit about a Jella wrestling show that you got involved with. So, (laughs) So let's hear it. All right, I'm talking with Jimmy Psycho from Jimmy Psycho Experiment, Mad Monster Cocktail Party, and Psycho Charger. And the track you just heard was one from his upcoming album, Go Die is the name of the track. Uh, badass tunes, man. I mean, yeah, I, you know... Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sort of stumbling over myself here, because whenever I hear uh, a musician who uh, you know goes into, like, punk... I don't know. I'm always expecting it to be someone uh, who just sort of knows power chords and how to scream into a mic. I, I, I appreciate punk, and I actually have an affinity for a lot of punk bands. Um, but I, I mean, you, you really are a, a good musician, and so, and especially when you're sort of crossing that sort of genre as a musician uh, into lounge music and uh, uh, film music. I mean, that's that's a huge range uh, for. For someone who could easily be pigeonholed into just horror punk or something like that. Oh, <laughs> thank you, I appreciate it. <laughs> it was really nice. All right, so I did hear that you were involved in a burlesque Jello wrestling show. How did that come about?
2: Okay, so here's here's how this all started. Um, Psychocharger came out to play uh, Los Angeles, um, like just over two years ago. And the uh, the person that, that ended up promoting the show or putting the show together is a uh, Courtney Cruz, and so you know she and I stayed in touch over the years. And then when I moved out here, she she's been putting on uh, burlesque shows for like you know a number of years out here. So when I moved out here, you know she's talking about putting together this. Uh, jello wrestling slash burlesque <laughs> show and it it's it, it, it's pretty ingenious too because if if anybody watches a uh, professional wrestling you know the, you know all the wrestlers have like the big ring entrance you know yeah, yeah. so w- when the girls come out to wrestle the their ring entrance is their burlesque routine oh
0: wow.
2: so so yeah so and and i i have the best seat in the house because i get to be the referee <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and so it's not just like girls you know you know doing burlesque and wrestling, but they they do them as a uh, pop culture characters, probably the biggest one we did was uh the the comic book vixen show where you had uh uh one girl dressed up as uh venom from the spider man movies and then you know, she wrestled the Joker so uh, yeah, and it's it's been going great. It, so it's just been really a lot of fun to work with beyond the creative end of that and, uh, and actually participating in the, in the live show. So that's wow. kind of how all that came together. So where can people go to check that out? Well, there is a website. for it. It's uh, devilsplaygroundla.com. And uh, there's a show every month. Every month, and it's always you know the theme always changes. Uh, we did comic book victims, uh, we did uh, Star Wrestling Wars, where it was Star Wars characters uh, wrestling against Star Trek characters.
0: <laughs> so That's awesome. it, it,
2: it, It's it's a hoot, man. It's it's a lot of fun, and I encourage anybody that happens to be around L.A. You know, you know, when we're doing this show to to come check it out because it is a lot of fun. And actually, the show has uh, been up to San Francisco, and it's going to be down to San Diego. Uh, I believe on December 29th. So if anybody's down that way on that on that date. But uh, we'd love to take it to other cities. So if anybody out there is listening, uh, drop us a line. You know, We bring it to your town.
1: Hell yeah. That's fantastic. Well, Jimmy, thank you so much for joining me. I've, I've had a lot of fun, and I really, really do enjoy your music.
2: Oh, thank you. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. And once again, great podcast, though, I have to say. It's, it's a good thing you're up to there.
1: I appreciate that. Um, all right, so jimmypsycho.com. Go check it out. Pick up Mad Monster Cocktail Party and any of the other Psycho Charger albums available there. And uh, I'm looking forward to this new album. Uh, you've got a, a dedicated fan now. Oh, awesome. Thanks a lot, Adam. I appreciate it. Yep. Until we can uh, meet again or, or chat, uh, hail Satan, man. And that's it for another show. I hope you enjoyed it. I would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. The holidays are rapidly approaching, and Nine Cents has provided. From Asp Apparel's official Nine Cents clothing and accessories, found at AspApparel.com, to my children's book, How Crow Got a Scareback, found at crow.adampcampbell.com. Also, my new project, Nine Cents, presents Satanists on Satanic Cinema, found at satanistsonsataniccinema.com. What could be better than the holidays with Nine Cents? Really, seriously, can you think of anything that would possibly be better? Spread the word. Help support the show. Make a statement without saying a word. You can visit the Satan Net Facebook, Google+, Plus, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9 Cents and get updated on weekly topics. Listen to the show at RadioFreeSatan.com or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9 We're also on Last.fm, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube, so check us out there as well. You can subscribe to 9 Cents via iTunes by searching 9 Cents, and don't forget to leave a rating or comment if you do. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, and why wouldn't you, visit churchofsatan.com, and if you'd like to hear other fine satanic voices, music, or personalities, visit radiofreesatan.com, the source for online satanic media. Once again, thank you for joining me, and as always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, and until next week, Hail Satan! My asthma is really kicking in. So sorry about all that inhaling